Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's podcast coming to you following the New York Jets' loss in Buffalo, 12-20. to The Jets lose in Orchard Park, falling to 7-6 and on the season and out of the playoff race. The Bills go to 10-3. and They look like they're going to run away with the division. So this was a bummer of a game in terms of the outcome, but the Jets did everything right, everything you were looking for them to do in an away game, especially with the inclement weather going on. The Jets limited Josh Allen through the air and on the ground. They limited the Buffalo rushing attack, didn't let those guys take off. Stephon Diggs was almost invisible in this game, as was Gabe Davis, as was Isaiah McKenzie. I mean, nothing really going for that Buffalo offense. For the Jets offense, we ran the ball decently well. Mike White, playing like an absolute dog, getting injured, plastered in the ribs, play after play. I'm getting worried for the guy for his long-term health, but he comes back onto the field two separate points in this game. He has a better game than Josh Allen, outplays him, very efficient, has that dog in him. And gets the ball to the playmaker's hands. And if you looked at all this stuff, you'd say, that's the recipe for success 10 times out of 10 against the Buffalo Bills. That's what you're looking for. Unfortunately, the Jets shot themselves in the foot yet again. We had trouble in the red zone. We had a fumble from Michael Carter at the 15-yard line, which really sucked. And then Joe Flacco came in his first play of the game when Michael Car- uh, Mike White got injured the first time, fumbled the ball immediately, giving the ball to the Bills at midfield. The Bills didn't have any turnovers. We're used to Josh Allen usually making one or two dumb mistakes. In a game in the rain like this, you were hoping something would go wrong for them. But in reality, the Bills played a pretty efficient game overall. They held onto the ball. They were disciplined, even though nothing was really working for them. They didn't make the mistakes the Jets made. So they win the game 20-12. to They narrowly escaped getting swept by the Jets, split the season series, and we got a lot to talk about on this one because the season's got four games left. The Jets are currently out of the playoff picture. There's a lot of room for the Jets to get back in, but... You know, we got a lot to, a lot of stuff to go through. So we're going to do the usual stuff, talk positives, negatives overall. We're going to do a recap of the Bills game, offense, defense, special teams. We're going to talk AFC East check-in. The Jets are now in last place. That kind of sucks. We're going to talk playoff picture to see where the Jets are and what they need to do to get back into the playoffs. And then we're going to preview the uh, Lions game coming up next week. Two fun sections of what's on tap and father time. That's about it. So... Before I begin, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's under the Gangrene Nation podcast title. The series title is This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. This is an audio-only podcast, and uh, let's get into it. Starting with schedule coming up, they just have four games left. I can't freaking believe they've played 13 games already, and the season's about to end. It's December 13th, I mean... Man, where the season goes. We got Lions, Jags, Seahawks, and Dolphins to close it out, and that's it. If we don't make the playoffs, we get four more games and then a long offseason looking at the draft, looking at free agency, training camps, going through all that stuff again. Oh, it hurts my soul even thinking about it. But uh, four more big ones. Got to make them count. All right, so let's talk positives of this team where the Jets stand right now after losing to the Buffalo Bills. Going into week 15, what am I positive about? Mike White, for one, is absolutely awesome. The fight that we saw from him to come back into this game, not once, but twice, he jogged into the locker room, and after that hit where he just absolutely crumpled from Matt Milano, 
even the announcers, Tony Romo and Jim Nance, are like, there's no chance he's coming back in the game. His day is over. But again, he comes back out like an absolute hero because Mike White wants to win this job. He's got a higher level of desire and maturity than we've had in one of our young quarterbacks in so many years. This guy's like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be on the field. I don't want to lose my chance, and I got to do it. And he is, and he's playing at a high level still, even with that injury. He outplayed Josh Allen. He had 269 yards to Josh Allen's 147 yards. He had more yards per attempt. He was extremely efficient in this game in the rain with that injury. How could you not be so excited about what Mike White is doing? This Buffalo game was the big test for him. Because when he played Buffalo last year, it was the first game that he really sucked. No touchdowns, four interceptions. It was a mess. And that's what sent him back to the bench. And he hadn't had another opportunity until Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco had been sucking this year. So Q and Mike White give him another opportunity. He does really well against the Bears, the Vikings. Those are relatively easy defenses, even though he's got some issues. Mobility is an issue. Punching the ball into the end zone in the red zone is an issue right now. But overall, what we're seeing from him, he's evolved. He's not dinking and dunking. He's not just dumping it to the running backs or short little tight end or wide receiver throws. He's hitting all different levels downfield, hitting all sorts of different receivers, getting everybody involved, throwing outside, inside, doing a little bit of everything. He's doing some touch throws. He's doing some intermediate throws across the middle. He's doing some screen passes, some timing routes. It's really, really nice to see. And I've been talking on this podcast about, and with my dad outside of the podcast, just talking about like what we're going to do next year if Zach Wilson wasn't the answer This team is really, really talented, and that's a good place to be because it's not all on the quarterback. It's the same setup as the 49ers have. It's not Trey Lance putting Jimmy Garoppolo. Hey, guess what? It's still working. Jimmy Garoppolo's not there. Put in Brock Purdy. Guess what? It's still working. Why? Because it's not the team, or it's not the quarterback. It's the team. And the Jets are in that similar situation as well, where it's not about the quarterback. It's about the team. But you can't have a quarterback that's holding you back. And Zach Wilson was starting to hold us back. So the guys you're looking at, Jared Goff, Jimmy G, a Derek Carr, they could potentially be a New York Jets quarterback next year. And I think at this point in time, Mike White is playing about as well as those guys. When you look at the whole body of work and what their abilities are, Mike White is not that far off from a Jimmy G or a Jared Goff or a Derek Carr, believe it or not. And this Bills game, playing through that injury in the rain, in Orchard Park, that's what really cemented it for me. And I'm not sure if he's going to be a long-term Jets quarterback for the next six, seven, eight years, right? Who knows what's going to happen? He still has to progress. He still has to develop. He has to start punching the ball in the end zone. He's got to look out for pressure. He's got to make sure his timing and and chemistry and everything works well and he can advance the playbook. There's still a lot of progression that we need to see. But I'd be happy to give him a contract right now for two more years, $12 to $15 million a year, somewhere between like a $24 to $30 million contract for two years. Get him back as the Jets quarterback, not paying too much money. It's going to be cheaper than a car or a golf or a Garoppolo. And the guy clearly can operate the offense well enough. We're still looking for progression, sure. But I'm loving what I'm seeing from Mike White. I, I can't believe that I'm saying that I would lock this guy up right now. But I don't want to go back in there and be paying, like, you know, working hard to give up draft picks to get Derek Carr and pay him $35, $40 million. When I think what Mike White is doing is damn impressive, and he easily could be further along than those guys a year from now. He's got work to do, absolutely. But Mike White is a dog. This is... He's playing quarterback right now better than the best we ever got, really, like over any real stretch of time from Geno Smith, Sam Darnold, Zach Wilson, maybe even Mark Sanchez, who was never really like a weapon at quarterback. He just kind of played within the offense, which is fine. That's kind of what we're looking for here. But Mike White elevates it a little bit more. He's the type of guy that throws 
to receivers for 300 yards a game, which we never got. He's the kind of guy that's not afraid to get it downfield, and he's got a level of toughness that we didn't have from the other guys, a letter, level of leadership and maturity that we didn't get from the other guys. This is a great experience for the Jets, and I can't wait to see him go back against the Lions. I hope that injury is not going to keep him down because Mike White is an absolute positive. Garrett Wilson, he is also an absolute positive for this team. He's already broken the Jets' rookie receiving record for yards in the season. It was 844 held by Keyshawn Johnson. Now Garrett Wilson at 868, the most receiving yards in Jets' rookie history. He's three receptions away from breaking Wayne Corbett's record of 66 receptions in a season as a rookie. He's going to get that this week. He's going to be the Jets' best rookie wide receiver we've ever had. He is officially elite. He's pacing for over 1,000 yards. We have a legit star receiver. There's been so many guys that we hoped would become one. Maybe one day, if he keeps, if he could, Garrett Wilson is there. Signed, sealed, delivered, we got him. That's awesome. We also don't have to pay him a long-term contract with you know high dollars for three more years, which is awesome. Jets can really take advantage of that. Another big pos- positive about the team, the injuries overall don't seem horrible. There was a point in this game where Quinn Williams goes down with a non-contact injury that looked like potentially something in the knee, and I was super nervous. And then Mike White leaves the game, and we were told he wasn't going to come back, and it looked like he shouldn't come back, and I was like, oh, my God, we just lost our best player on the team in Quinn Williams, and we lost this quarterback who's giving us all this hope in Mike White. But right now, both of them are day-to-day, both potentially going to play against the Lions this week, and if they do, that's a huge positive because we dodged a huge scare that could have totally derailed our season. And lastly, the Jets were right there with the Bills again. A sweep was in the mix for the Jets. We could have beaten them. We had 70 more yards of offense. We had 10 more minutes time of possession. The Bills in this game on third down, 15% third down conversion rate. They were horrible. The Jets were 47% third down conversion rate. But why did the Bills win? Two bad turnovers. They had one more sack than the Jets. The Jets had more penalties than the Bills. And that right there, the turnover battle is what does it. Those negative yardage plays, man, they had them right there. They lose by one score. They had opportunities at the end of the game as well. A couple things went, you know, the Bills' way in this game. They're playing at home, whatever. A couple things went the Jets' way the first time they played. But the Bills are not some superior team to the Jets. The mighty Bills, who were Super Bowl favorites, and Josh Allen, the MVP favorite, and all this jazz. And the Jets are some sucky team that's going to be lucky to win five games. And here we are, playing with a slew of different quarterbacks, a bunch of different rookies on the field. And we're playing just as well as that team, whether we're playing at Jet Stadium or Buffalo Stadium, and we're a player or two away from beating the Vikings, the Bills, the Patriots both times. The Jets are right freaking there. We need some stuff to go our way. Talk about the negatives, and it's the fact that they're shooting themselves in the foot, right? They let another game slip away. All those one-score games the Jets have played, they're not winning these ones. they got to pull one out because right now they've fallen out of the playoff picture. They were the number seven seed. They're down to number nine. That sucks. At this point in time, the Jets probably have to win three out of four to close out the season, and one of those three wins has to be against the Dolphins. If they do that, I think the Jets will absolutely make the playoffs. If they don't do that, they're going to need help from other teams. And that's, you know, we've been in a much more comfortable position playoff picture-wise. I know the Bills game was tough and the Vikings game was tough, and there were always possibilities the Jets would lose them, but you were hoping you could steal one of those two games and then make it so much easier down the stretch to get into the playoffs. But unfortunately, both those games slipped away. A couple Jets mistakes, not great. As good as it's been this season, we are on the brink of elimination. A loss to the Lions, and then a loss to the Jaguars, and the season's over. 
So the Jets have to, uh, you know, have some big games coming up. we got some things to work through. We could be without Corey Davis. Another negative is that Corey Davis, who was injured already once this year, came back and proved that he's absolutely one of the Jets' best and most reliable offensive weapons. He's a guy that gets it done at big moments, makes big catches going across the field, and he did it in this game, a nice big 15-yard catch where he went up there and took the hit from the incoming defender. Unfortunately, he gets a head injury in this one, and given the state of the NFL this year with concussions and concussion protocol, it's very possible that a a head injury like that could be, you know, one to three weeks now. It used to be basically one week and you'd be good. Now you never know. could be a long time before he passes concussion protocol. The league's really looking out for that stuff. So that's a negative there. Overall, when I look at the Jets and where we're at, we worked really hard. They worked really hard to get to this point. The coaching staff, to me, has been really impressive. The rookie class has been an absolute dream. The team is full of stars. They've got elite talent all over the place, and they even have a quarterback that I have actual confidence in. It all comes down to these last four games, including that Week 18 matchup against the Dolphins. Let's turn this amazing season into a playoff run. Let's keep the development for these guys engaged. Like, let's get a couple more games, some postseason experience. Let's level up these guys one more time and give the Jets fans a real reason to celebrate for the first time. The season's been fun. There's been reasons to celebrate, but how about a playoff game? A playoff win, even. We got to get there. It all comes down to these last four games. Here we are in December talking about it. This was a dream a year ago. And now we're here, and now we just have to take care of business, and the dream can be greater than we even thought. So that's my thoughts on the Jets and what's going on right now. Plenty of positives. They just have to win some games. They just have to win some games. It's not going their way in the win-loss column at this point in time. But the play is there. The, The execution, for the most part, is there. It's just a few plays here and there, a couple red zone things. Ah. Anyways, those are my thoughts. We got to hear what my dad has to say in this week's Father Time. This is my dad's thoughts sent to me in an email. I got, it's really tiny font because he decided to, in the middle of this Father Time for the first time, input a giant picture of a baby lion crying. And it's it's a real lion. It's not a cartoon. Um, It's just like a crying baby lion. But putting that in there in the email when I printed it out made the font like size six. So... Bear with me as I try to read this tiny little thing. This is this week's Father Time written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. Mike White is tough. He's listed as day-to-day, but there's no doubt in my mind that he starts. You saw those late-game hits in Buffalo. Why am I so sure? Because it's Mike White. Of course he'll start. He's Mike effing White. Now that it's December, when watching the Jets play, I see a team that competes at a high level, but there are certain plays that create a loss. We've seen young, inexperienced quarterbacks struggle and often make the play, but sometimes they don't. We watch young players use every inch of their being to match up with tenured, seasoned NFL professionals. Think about it. What did Sauce Gardner know about playing in the NFL two months ago? Same for Garrett Wilson. This team is literally running on Salah's all-gas and no-breaks mantra. It seems on the edge of of out-of-control sometimes. The Jets have stolen plays and they've stolen games. On the other side of the coin, there have been soul-stealing losses and boneheaded moments. But there are no more rookies now. This is the time to make the catch, make the tackle, keep your toes in bounds, and be smart. Now the picture of the crying lion. In this week's game, the Detroit offense strength is matched against the Jets' defensive strength. This is going to be a good test, but I like the Jets' defense here. Our corners have faced Stephon Diggs and Justin Jefferson, and we were better than solid. The Lions have scored points, but they don't fare nearly as well against the top Ds. 
I expect the Jets' defense to do its job, especially if they blitz golf. The key is the weaker units. How do they match up? The Jets' offense versus the Lions' defense. Detroit gives up an average of 400-plus yards per game, second most in the NFL. We will score. And we will win, and we need it. Some say we need to win four games. Some say three or two. I've looked at who plays who, what path is easier and more difficult. But I'm going to stop looking down that road. And why? Because anything can happen, and the playoff landscape changes a lot week to week. And with the Jets currently on the outside looking in, it means we need to win. We really just need to win. So let's hope for cold weather on Sunday, because Dome teams hate the northeastern windy, blustery weather, kickers included. And on Sunday, light a fire, pop open a couple beverages of choice, and buckle up. We've waited 10 years for these games, and this week is going to be a good one. Go Jets. End scene. Whoa. So, so much to unpack here. What a great father time from my dad. He's absolutely right. You know, we got to be excited because we've waited. It's been 10 years, really, other than that Ryan Fitzpatrick season in 2015. That we've been waiting to be here on December 13th. Like, man, if we win a couple games, we're going to make the playoffs and all this. And then feel like if you made the playoffs and played the Buffalo Bills in the first, second round or something, played the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship game, we could beat them. We could beat the Ravens or the Titans or the Dolphins or the Bills or the Chargers. Like, these are all games the Jets can win. Man, it's exciting, and we should enjoy the ride because that's what it's all about. Every year is a ride, and after you win the Super Bowl, I'm sure, I, yeah, I haven't done it in my lifetime, but I'm sure when it's over, pretty soon after, you're looking to win another one. I'm sure the Rams fans aren't happy right now with their season. They're probably bummed out, even though they won last year. It's all about the ride and getting there, and we're in the ride right now, and it's fun. I really like the point that he made about the uh, cold weather because Ford Field, where the Lions play, is a dome stadium. I don't sh- I'm not sure where they practice, if they practice outside or inside. But dome teams can be a little wimpy. And the Lions are a dome team coming to New York, and it's December 13th right now. It's going to be December, what, 17th or 18th when the Jets play there. When you look at the Jets' seasons historically, like some of those Geno Smith seasons and Sam Darnold seasons where the Jets really sucked, And then a lot of those years, we were kind of left with this optimism because the Jets kind of went on a little bit of a run at the end of the season. It's like, well, they won six of their last seven games, or Geno Smith was starting to play well, and the team was starting to win the last three games or something that gives you hope for future seasons. And a lot of that's due to the fact that the Jets are an outdoor team playing in December, and they have more of an advantage against teams. No, we're not the best September team. We're not the best October team. But I bet if you look through the stats, the Jets have been a little bit more successful in December. And the reason being that we're good at playing in cold weather. And the Lions, perhaps not so much, even though Detroit is, you know, crazy weather in itself. So that could be a huge advantage for the Jets. Let's hope for a messy game. Jared Goff, coming from the Los Angeles Rams before that, that's a team that doesn't really have a lot of bad weather either. So potentially this is a perfect matchup for the Jets, perfect conditions, perfect location. We're playing at home. you love to see. I want to see those fans loud for this game. He's right that the strength of the Lions is going to be their offense. The strength of the Jets is going to be our defense. Slightly weaker for the Jets is our offense. Their defense, not very good. That's an opportunity for the quarterback, the running backs, to take advantage. Hopefully it's Mike White. I love what my dad says because right now we don't know exactly what's going on with Mike, if he's going to be 100% ready to go for this game. My dad's got no doubts, and he's probably right because it's Mike White. The way he peeled himself off the ground in that game and came back out, he wasn't going to be denied. He's probably not going to be denied in this game either. And you know what? When he came back on the field, he was throwing the ball relatively well still. 
not much of a downgrade considering what was going on inside his ribs and everything. So, yeah, I'm excited. This is a, a very exciting time. Our rookies are developing. Um, yeah, I hope we see some lions crying. Just like this picture my dad inserted here. This was a good father time. I appreciate it, Dad. That's what we got. So before we go over to the AFC East check-in, the playoff picture, and then a Bills review, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to start with an AFC East check-in where the Bills are first place. They're 10-3 and now. They played the Dolphins this week that was flexed into Saturday, 8-15 NFL Network. Big game there. The Dolphins won the first matchup. Dolphins are 8-5. This game's in Buffalo. The last one that the Dolphins won was in Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. So this is going to kind of like determine whether or not the Dolphins are playing for the division or if the Bills are going to run away with it. And it's going to determine whether or not the Dolphins are a fringe playoff team. Because they lost to the Chargers this week, which sucked because we wanted the Chargers to lose so the Jets would have a better opportunity at getting that last wild card spot. But when you look at the Dolphins, who were up pretty high in the race, they lose to the Chargers. They're now only one game ahead of the Jets. If the Jets win this week and they lose to Buffalo, the Jets are going to have the tiebreaker over Miami. Miami's going to be below the Jets. There's definitely opportunities for the Jets to get back into the mix. And this matchup on Saturday night is going to be a fun one. Big AFC East one. I know we talked about this past week being like so big for the AFC playoff picture. The Raiders lost. They're out of this whole thing now, basically. That was great to see them losing, even though I'm not a big Baker Mayfield fan. That win, awesome. But then seeing the Chargers lose to the Dolphins, seeing the Patriots beat the Cardinals, those were a little bit more upsetting. And, of course, the Jets losing to the Buffalo Bills. So it wasn't a great weekend for the Jets overall. Raiders are at least out of it. and The Dolphins are at least a little bit back in the mix. The Patriots, they're now 7-6 and six after beating the Cardinals on Monday Night Football last night. Big thing in that, Ramondre Stevenson left with an ankle injury. He is their best offensive player, and they do a lot of stuff through him. If he can't go, that's going to be a huge down for uh, the Patriots. I'm sure they'll keep his injury status mystery up until the Raiders game this week. We never know if he's going to play, and then we'll find out from there. But the Patriots are going to play the 5-8 and eight Raiders, who are still technically in the mix. I'm not nervous about them with where they're at with a 5-8 and eight record, but technically they're in the mix, so this is a must-win game for them. It's also Josh McDaniels against his former team. So there's opportunities here for the Raiders to steal a game. This game's going to be 4 p.m. on Fox. Then in last place, the Jets, they're 7-6, and we're playing at home against the Lions. So looking at the AFC playoff race, the teams we're really concerned with at this point in time, Patriots, Chargers, and Dolphins. 7-6 and Chargers, they're home versus the 7-6 and Titans. The Bills, they're playing the Dolphins. This week, if you're looking for kind of your what to root for, for the Jets to have a good week. Obviously, you want the Jets to beat the Lions. Rooting for the Bucks to beat the Bengals, the Raiders to beat the Patriots, Titans over Chargers, Bills over Dolphins, Browns over Ravens. Those are the teams. As many as we can have go our way, the, the better. And, of course, the number one most important game by far, Jets beating the Lions. That's our AFC playoff race. We only got four weeks left. It changes drastically week by week, but... Man, it's, uh, it's nice to be in the mix. And it's nice to know that if the Jets beat the Lions this week, they're probably going to be right back, in that, right back in that picture. I wouldn't be surprised. So, let's do a little review of the Bills game. Where even though we scored 12 points, the team played well. They really did. Overall, they were moving the ball. They didn't have any three and outs. 
the very end of the game, they had a four and out turnover on downs to end the game. But they didn't have any three and outs in this game. They were consistently moving the ball, at least getting, you know, five, six, seven, eight plays, whether they scored or not. They were getting stuff going on offense. And then defensively, they really limited the running attack of Josh Allen, Singletary, Cook, Stephon Diggs. Like, so many good things for the Jets in this one. It just sucks the final score, 12 to 20. But you look at Mike White. He was 27 to 44. A 61% completion percentage, which isn't super high, but given the conditions, I think it's fair. 268 passing yards. Didn't have any touchdowns. No interceptions. At one point, he fumbled the ball. C.J. Uzama picked it up. So... No turnovers from Mike White. He was sacked four times. He was hit even more than that. He was banged up. His ribs, wind knocked out of him. He was fighting through all that. But when you look at kind of like how he played and what he was doing, I was really impressed with his dispersion of the ball because he goes all over the place with it, right? He had 26 targets for the wide receivers, eight targets for the running backs, 10 targets for the tight ends. And I think that's kind of like the perfect mix. You do want to lean to those wide receivers because those are your downfield guys and those are your best yards after catch guys. Your tight ends, those are dangerous mismatches. I like to see them get involved. And the running backs, you want to make sure they're getting some carries or some uh, catches as well, but not, you know, dominating the offensive scheme. Mike White was throwing downfield. He was getting comfortable. And like I said, he still has to work on his red zone efficiency. He's got to get a couple plays that he's really comfortable with. We see in midfield, he's comfortable throwing these slants over the middle. He's comfortable with some touch passes to the running backs. He's comfortable with little um, out routes or curls to the tight ends but he's not comfortable with any sort of pylon pass within the red zone. He doesn't really roll out in that short field. He doesn't use his legs to pick up extra yardage or anything like that. I don't think we've seen him run once this year. Um, So red zone, he's got to work on that. Mobility, only so much you can do there, but he's got to know kind of what his limitations are when the rush is coming. He goes down pretty easily. you got to make sure that he's looking up, making sure that uh, guys aren't going to hit him. Throw the ball out of bounds if you have to. But when it comes down to it, Mike White is our offensive player of the game. It wasn't an electric performance. It wasn't a dynamic performance. But what I saw from him as a leader, strong, resilient, coming back in here and doing everything in his power to try to win a game in Buffalo against the amazing Mighty Bills. And he was damn close, and he was playing a good game, and he outplayed Josh Allen. And I was just so proud of what I saw. This was the game that really sold me. Not that he's a long-term franchise quarterback, but that this guy absolutely should continue to play quarterback for the Jets this year. And there's no reason that he shouldn't be on the roster next year. If you're thinking of keeping Zach Wilson and not having Mike White next year, that's a big mistake. You can keep Zach Wilson, but you have to keep Mike White because he's better. Until we see the progression, we can't just keep hoping for progression. I'm like, oh, well, if he gets, Zach Wilson could. No, Mike White is. It's not about what could, it's about what is. So, very happy with Mike White, player of the game, his second time this season. Joe Flacco played a couple snaps. Joe Flacco, this is the other thing. Joe Flacco can't be the backup. It has to be Zach Wilson as the backup because Joe Flacco's no good. And I said before, Joe, I was like, please don't put Joe Flacco in. This guy fumbles the ball every single time he's hit, and he gets hit a lot because he doesn't move and he stands in the pocket. What happens? The first play's out there. Sacked, fumbles the ball. Bills get it back midfield. Kill that drive. Damn. Joe Flacco's only in for like five snaps or something, and he finds a way to turn the ball over, something Mike White didn't do all game. That sucks. Zach Wilson absolutely has the ability to turn the ball over. Don't get me wrong. He's got his issues, but at least Zach Wilson's got some athleticism, a little bit of spark, some juice. Joe Flacco's getting worse and worse every single week, it seems like. He should not be the backup. The punishment for Zach Wilson is over. If he's trying to work on footwork and he's not quite there yet, it doesn't matter. The time is now to win games. 
there's no question that Mike White could start this game against the Lions and not finish this game against the Lions because of his rib injury. He could be hit in the second play of the game by Aiden Hutchinson and be out. And then, do you really want to put in Joe Flacco with your season on the line to go win a shootout against the Lions? Or do you want to see Zach Wilson, who in reality is 5-2 and two this year and his only losses came against the Patriots? And I know I'm part of the people that were like, man, it was ugly though. It wasn't because they, were, they weren't winning because of Zach Wilson. They were winning in spite of Zach Wilson. But I'm telling you right now, they're not winning many games with Joe Flacco, if any, and they have to win all the games right now. Zach Wilson at least can do some stuff to win games. Using his legs, throwing the ball away, not fumbling the ball every time he's hit. He has been taking care of the ball relatively well this year. I'd rather a Zach Wilson whirling Dervish in the backfield throwing out of bounds than Joe Flacco standing in there looking at guys downfield fumbling it. So, Joe Flacco's time should be over. I really hope to see Zach Wilson suiting up this week, and I really hope to see Mike White starting. Look at the running backs. We had 22 carries for 76 yards. The big star in the running game here was Zonovan Knight again. This guy's playing really, really well for an undrafted rookie. Love what we see from him. He had 17 carries, 71 yards, and his first touchdown. Michael Carter is supposed to be the dynamic duo between, like, Brees Hall and Michael Carter coming into this year. We lose Brees, and Michael Carter is not carrying the torch very well. He's had his worst season. It's only been a second season, but this is a way worse season than he had last year. Struggling a little bit. Can't get anything going on the ground. His only real weapon right now is the receiving game. Decent at blocking here and there, but he had five carries for five yards in this game and fumbled the ball at the 15-yard line, killing killing a drive where the Jets were about to score and potentially tie the game right there. That really, really sucked. Um, I have retired the doghouse segment because I didn't want to make anybody feel bad. I don't like to be too negative about the Jets, but if we had one, Michael Carter, man, he's a... Uh, He's just got to get a little better. He had three catches for 15 yards. But this guy's supposed to be one of our offensive weapons and juggernauts. Like, man, get it to Michael Carter. This guy's supposed to be capable of getting 100 yards in a game, touchdown or two, big old plays, 50-yard runs. We're not getting that. We're getting more mistakes than great plays. I think he's still got it in him. I think he's going to bounce back. I think the offensive line is a little bit to blame. I think the changes on offense and the schemes and the quarterbacks and all that doesn't make it easy. But I think we need more from him. And I think that James Robinson hasn't given us much. I think Ty Johnson's had moments. But Zonovan right now, right now is the only guy that I really, truly trust in the running game that we have on the roster. Crazy to say at this point in time. But you got to play your best players. We're at that point in the season. It's not about development or giving guys chances or looking at, like, what can the guy do? Is he, you know, evaluating him and stuff for next year? It's not about that. It's about win this week, whatever it takes. Wide receivers. We had 25 targets to the wide receivers, 17 receptions, 213 yards. In these crazy conditions against this good defense, that was a really good game from the wide receivers. Corey Davis, he was going to have another good game. He had that nice big 15-yard catch early. I could tell he was ready for another 60-yard performance. Gets that hand injury, he goes out. It's a big bummer. Garrett Wilson, he's been on fire, specifically with Mike White playing, like absolutely on fire. In this game, he only had six catches, 78 yards. Like that's low for him these days. But it was on seven targets, so super efficient. And he's got that really flashy yak. That yards after catch where he just makes guys miss, picks up another couple extra yards here. He looks like another level wide receiver. He just, you, you know, you see those certain guys that you're just, man, this guy's better than other people. Garrett Wilson is that. When he gets the ball in his hands, you can just tell instantly he's one of the really good ones. Elijah Moore, he was the most targeted player in the passing game this week with 10 targets. He had six catches, 60 yards, a couple really nice catches, one sliding down in the middle of the field, another deep one late. He was involved early and often. 
big part of the offense here, specifically stepping in when Corey Davis went down, and that was good to see from him. I'm sure he's happy with his performance. like to see him get a little bit more, but, you know, he's definitely getting some chemistry with Mike White, which he didn't have early on. It was like, yeah, Elijah Moore got a nice play here and there, but it was two catches or two targets or three targets. He still wasn't really a focal point. Now seeing him in there involved, six catches, ten targets. Okay, now we've got our quarterback getting comfort with Garrett Wilson and Corey and Conklin and Elijah Moore. And we see Denzel Mims get five targets for three catches. A couple nice ones in this game where I was like watching it. Sure, that was Garrett Wilson when he made the catch. I'm like, whoa, that's Denzel Mims. He's looking thin. He's looking good. And he's making stuff happen. He's out there. 35 yards in this game. Berrios got a little bit of redemption over the bad drop last week. He had a nice deep ball thrown over his shoulder, 25 yards in this game. That was his big, uh, big impact. Looking at the tight ends, Tyler Conklin is the Jets' main receiving option in the tight end room. He had eight targets, five catches, 28 yards. So not super efficient, not a ton of yardage and everything, but a security blanket for Mike White, who's using him appropriately, as you should a tight end. CJ Uzoma, he had some nice blocks in this game, one short catch, and picked up that fumble that Mike White had. Thank goodness. When you look at the offensive line, we had 3.4 yards per rush, mostly because Michael Carter's yards per carry really killed that uh, that stat there. He gave up four sacks. Mike White was getting hammered. It was up and down. There were some penalties. It's not perfect. Fant got banged up. Max Mitchell, we found out that uh, over this week that he's not going to play again this year. He's on the non-football injury list for blood clots, something that he should be able to recover from. So kind of a scary medical issue that's not football-related. Hopefully he recovers. We're going to be playing without him for the remainder of this year. So it'll be hopefully, if Fant can stay healthy and play right tackle, it'll be him, maybe a Cedric Ogbui, Mike Remmers, whatever the Jets end up doing there. I do want to give a quick shout-out to Dwayne Brown because Dwayne Brown was that guy that when Mekhi Becton went down, there was like, you know this big debate on if the Jets should go after a tackle, who it should be, should they trade, sign a guy, should it be Dwayne Brown? He's really, really old. What does he have left in the tank? How much is he worth? The Jets get him, and I was a little bit like apprehensive about it because – He's so old, and I'm like, man, he's going to get injured. And he did get injured really quick right when he came to the team. And it was like, oh, my gosh, what a waste of money. This sucks. We just dumped you know, $10 million on Dwayne Brown for what? But now looking at it, he's played 13 games. He's been reliable. He's not elite, but he's made some good plays. He's been really, really good in a few. He's stood out in a few games. And he's a guy that you can trust at left tackle that I wasn't sure we were going to have when Mekhi went down. So really, really big to have that guy Big anchor for the Jets. Shout out to Dwayne Brown. Doesn't get enough credit on this team. Just being there and playing, you know, B-minus level football is huge at left tackle. Something that we absolutely weren't guaranteed to have. So that's our O-line. Let's take a look at the defense real quick. The defensive line in this game, three sacks. Strong interior defensive line. Quinton Williams had two sacks. He's up to 11 on the year. I mean, what a season for Quinn Williams. That injury, he could have had three in this game if he didn't go down. And I really, really hope that's a calf injury. That's just going to be like a little bit of a strain. And he can be back out there ASAP playing at the same high level. Doesn't further aggravate it. But he's playing really well. And his partner in crime, Sheldon Rankins, is having a really nice year. He had the other sack. So three sacks total for the Jets. They played this game without Michael Clemens. I think Carl Lawson made his presence felt in this game. I think it was a quiet game from JFM and from Jermaine Johnson, at least on the defensive side of the ball. Vinnie Curry was in there for a few plays as well. And Bryce Huff, he was making some uh, pressures as well. This guy's like one of the most efficient pass rushers in the league. 
Now, he doesn't set an edge. He's not a guy you in, you want in there on running plays. But when you're talking about getting after the quarterback on a third and 13, he's really good at going around the edge really quick. He can go inside as well. A couple different moves, and he's got quick pursuit to the quarterback. So good season from Bryce Huff, even though he didn't have a sack in this game. I think the linebackers were like exactly what you would expect from C.J. Mosley, Quincy Williams, Quan Alexander. Very, very similar, like identical performance to what we've seen from them so many times this year. Good, good overall. Not a ton of splash plays, a couple big hits. Quan making one tackle for loss feels like, you know, C.J. Mosley leading the team in tackles. Feels like that's the recipe every single game for those linebackers. When you look at the cornerbacks, man, so impressive. So impressive. Not only because Josh Allen's a really good quarterback, because Stephon Diggs is a really good receiver. And Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie have skill sets. Diggs did have a 32-yard catch. It was a crossing route. Jordan Whitehead was in coverage, and most of that yardage was yards after catch down the sideline. Great, 32 yards there. You take that one play out on Jordan Whitehead, he had four targets, five yards. That was nothing from Stephon Diggs. He wasn't targeted a single time when Sauce Gardner was in coverage against him. Gabe Davis, he had 31 yards. Isaiah McKenzie had 21 yards. I mean, Josh Allen finished this game 16-27 for 147 yards. He got nothing going. Sauce was insane. He is... The number one defensive assignment going into this game was stop Stefan Diggs. He guards Stefan Diggs for a lot of the game, isn't targeted once. He is the defensive player of this game because that was the number one thing. Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs is their best dynamic duo, and we got a guy that's so freaking good, he shut it down. Stefan, uh, or not Stefan Diggs, Sauce Gardner, I don't really believe in PFF. It's not a metric that I like to use. I don't think they're very good or reliable. It's kind of like just use it when you want to make your point. So I'll use it here to make my point. He currently is graded on PFF as the number one cornerback in the entire NFL on the season. A rookie. Coming out of Cincinnati, this guy. Unbelievable. Fits the, he's right where he left off from college, and he's doing it in the NFL. And it's so cool, and I'm super happy that everyone's getting lost in the sauce. DJ Reed was almost equally impressive. I think Sauce had another extra tackle or two that were kind of impressive in this game. But DJ Reed also did really well covering. Every receiver in this game was lost in the sauce. And caught in Reed's weeds. Amazing. Eccles looks like he's going to be out on Sunday. Michael Carter should be playing, and then maybe they'll move Bryce Hall, who's been inactive basically every game. Maybe they'll move Bryce Hall up to the active roster. Um, and hopefully his time on the bench and working and practicing and stuff has gotten him better. Because what we saw from Bryce Hall in preseason and his limited, limited time was not very good. And we don't want to be back there again. So we'll see what happens. Safety. Again, kind of like what we'd expect from those safeties, similar sort of game. They weren't beat deep, didn't make any huge monster plays or anything. Whitehead's in there for some tackles. Marcus Joyner's around the ball here and there. Solid game there. So that's what we have on defense and offense in this game against the Bills. Now, before we go to special teams, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little What's on Tap. That's right, folks. This is What's on Tap. Section of the podcast that I talk about what I'm drinking while recording. And today, I'm not drinking anything flashy. I'm drinking a Bud Light. But why is this special? This is a giant Bud Light. I forgot why I bought this, but I got it a couple weeks ago, maybe for a Jets game or something, just to bring it as like a little pregame greaser. This thing is like 26 ounces or something. It's one of the ones that's in the fridge at the place that uh, just go in there. It's like two bucks or three bucks. And say 25 fluid ounces of 4.2 percent alcohol bud light so no it's not special 
But when I'm recording these podcasts, I don't get up from my seat. And if I drink a Bud Light, I'm going to finish it, and I have to, like, go slow on it, and it gets warm. There's this whole thing. But when you get 25 ounces, that's more than two beers, and you get to enjoy it as much as you want. So I'm taking big sips. And there's still plenty to go around as we talk special teams and everything after. So, yeah, not flashy, not delicious, but it's light, and there's a lot of it. And that sometimes is all I'm looking for. So Bud Light in a giant can. That is this week's What's on Tap. And now before we go to special teams and the Lions preview, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. Let's talk special teams in this game against the Bills real quick. Berrios, solid return game. It was sketchy early. It felt like nobody could catch a punt in this game. The rain was in their face, and at first it was just Berrios because the Bills were punting early, and he dodged one that was like, what are you doing? And then he kind of went back for the ball, and it's like, man, poison, poison. If you can't see it and you can't catch that football, you don't know where it is, get the hell out of Dodge and don't let it touch you. And he got a little bit too close for comfort, but luckily... No harm, no foul. Nothing really crazy happened. They didn't get the ball back. Ball went into the end zone. Actually ended up helping the Jets because they put the ball into the end zone and they got it at the 20 instead of, like, the 5 or whatever it would have been. But then he had a couple decent returns. Averaged 11.5 yards per return on two. His longest was 13. And we saw Naheem Hines of the Bills doing punt returns and having the same sort of issues early on specifically with the rain in his eyes and having trouble seeing the ball. So, you know, solid game. Greg Zerline, unfortunately, we didn't get him kicking enough. He made his only field goal attempt. He made his only extra point attempt, but that was it for him. It's just a quick 26-yard field goal, and that's like the one thing you don't want to see. I want to see Greg Zerline making a 50-yard field goal, a 40-yard field goal. Like, man, we couldn't score, but at least we get the field goal. 26-yard field goal, you're on the 9-yard line. I don't want to see that. I want to see touchdowns there. And the Jets are in the red zone. Punch it into the end zone. If they were able to do that, who knows? Maybe they win this game. But 26-yard field goal, an easy one for Greg. Jets get the points there. Finish with 12 on the day. Braden Mann punched seven times. Decent game there, a couple inside the 20. One bad touchback, 51-yard long, whatever. Fine game. He, when you punt seven times, a guy like Braden Mann, you kind of expect one or two to be absolute shanks that kind of like ruin the, <laughs> ruin the momentum of a game or something. But luckily, pretty consistent. And then our special teams player of the game. Who other than Jermaine Johnson, who we've not really noticed too much on special teams, and that's kind of a position that Michael Carter was playing, not Michael Carter, Michael Clemens was playing and had a blocked punt earlier this year, but he couldn't play in this game. So perhaps Jermaine Johnson is playing that exact same position. I'd have to go back at the film and look at that specifically to see if that was the exact same spot that Michael Clemens would be. But Jermaine Johnson on the field gets up, blocks a punt, goes out of the back of the end zone for a safety. So they just get two points instantly. They're about to get the ball back at the 50-yard line anyways. He's, like, punting from his end zone. But he gets the block. You kind of wish that the ball was picked up in the end zone. You get a touchdown even though you give the ball back to the Bills. The Jets didn't end up scoring on that next drive. So that was a little bit of a bummer that it happens to go out of the end zone. But what a play. Jermaine Johnson getting up there. The Jets needed it desperately. They were stuck at 10 points. They couldn't punch the ball into the end zone. The wind, Joe Flacco playing snaps and and. Fumbles from the Jets and Mike White dealing with rib injuries. It's like, man, thank you, Jermaine, for making a big play. We need that special teams unit to be a value add. And in this game, it was. He's special teams player of the game. Awesome to see from the rookie. He's not, like, had a dominant season. He missed a couple games, and he's kind of, like, quiet in some, shows up in others. But when he does show up, like, 
At least he does. How many times did Vernon Golston show up? How many times did Stephen Hill really show up? You have a guy like Jermaine Johnson, he does show up. I don't know if he's going to be the elite, one of the best pass rushers in the league like we you know, prayed and hoped, but I do know that he's got a spot in this league and he makes things happen and he deserves to be in the mix in that rotation for the defensive line on a really good defense for the next few years. Absolutely. So that's our special teams. Last thing we got to do is talk Lions game. This is a big one. And word on the street, rumors right now, is the Jets may be rocking green tummies for the first time this season. They've been doing white tummies. Basically every game is black pants. They've been doing a couple black tummies, but this time green? A home game, I like to see the Jets wearing green shirts, and they haven't really been doing it. It's been kind of weird to me. It doesn't really make any sense why you've been wearing white jerseys at home. But this game, I think we're going to see the green, and that's very exciting. And I think maybe it's got some juice and some spark. Maybe the Jets were holding on to it for like this late, important game. So we're going to unveil it when it really matters. And here we go. Let's see what they can do. Right? This game and Jacksonville are going to be home games. So let's get a loud stadium. We need to have these wins. Absolutely. We've watched so much. We've invested so much. I've done so many podcasts. We've watched film. We've watched all these games. We've gone through ups and downs and everything. And it comes down to this final stretch. We've only got a couple more home games. So if you're going to that game, give it all. Every little bit that you can do to help, specifically third downs, make it loud on them. You want to do it when Jared Goff is in the huddle, when Trevor Lawrence is in the huddle. You want to be as loud as possible so they can't hear pre-snap when they're at the line of scrimmage. When the uh, opponent is on offense, you want to make sure you're as loud as frequent. Don't let them hear their own thoughts. Don't let any communications, audibles, let's cause some pre-snap penalties. Anything we can do, any little advantage, we need it. we got to win these games. The game's going to be at 1 p.m. on CBS. I think it's going to be Ian Eagle and Charles Davis. Love Ian Eagle. Charles Davis is a robot. The Jets opened as one-point favorites. I think it's currently moved to even, which, I mean, when you're playing at home, you expect like one-and-a-half to two-and-a-half points going in your direction, so that really means they think the Lions are a better team than the Jets at this point in time. Interesting to me. I think that it's going to be a very interesting matchup, but I do feel like the Jets could have an edge in this one, but the Lions are hot right now. They've won five of their last six games. And their only loss in those last six games was to Buffalo by three points. So they only lost to a really good team by three. Other than that, they've beaten everybody, including this last week, they beat the Vikings, who the Jets lost to. So when you look at it, it's like, okay, the Lions are beating a lot of teams, and they are dangerous right now. But the Jets are dangerous. And we're playing in New York, in the cold, in December, at MetLife Stadium. We got a lot to prove in this one. Maybe the, the Lions are getting a little bit too big for their britches. Let's hope so. Because the Jets desperately need to claw back. When you look at the coaching of the Lions, um, you got to know them real well from Hard Knocks if you watched Hard Knocks this year. Their head coach is Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell does not impress me whatsoever. Not even a little bit. I think the guy is like a fiery muscle meathead who's just like, let's go guys, we can do it. And he's passionate and he gets like, we're going to do what we got to do. Which is all well and good. But those are the things that don't last long in the NFL. If you don't have the mind of Andy Reid, or you don't have the you know the schemes and, and ability to cheat like a Bill Belichick or something like that to give you a long-term run, hearing a guy come in like a Herman Edwards who does the rah-rah, like those speeches that are really passionate, like a pastor's preaching to you, just like, come on, boys, we need it. And it works at first, but then after a while when you're losing, it gets old and stale, and it doesn't work forever. That stuff works in college because the guys are in and out of the system so fast that it doesn't get stale. But in the NFL, you could be there for 8, 9, 10 years, and after a while, you're like, dude, I've heard this thing 10, 15 times. Yeah, Dan Campbell wears his heart on his sleeve. 
yeah, he, like, comes to tears in his press conferences when that team loses. But I'm not impressed with what he's got as a football mind. And if he hadn't gone on this big winning streak right now, he was absolutely in line to be fired. And it's just, he's not a guy that impresses me. What, what can I say? I don't think he's a great in-game coach either. Whatever, I think it's going to get old. But their defensive coordinator, former Jets cornerback Aaron Glenn, that guy rocks. So they got him as their defensive coordinator. Not a lot of good players in that defensive side of the ball, though. Their offensive coordinator is Ben Johnson, doing a really good job there this year. Their assistant head coach and running back coach, former player Deuce Staley. You notice with, like, Aaron Glenn, Dan Campbell, Deuce Staley, former players, there's a lot of former players in this coaching staff. That's what Dan Campbell built. He wanted a bunch of guys that have been around football and stuff. Is that the right way to coach a team? Probably not, but he brings in JT Barrett, if you remember him from Ohio State, former Jets quarterback, mostly a Jaguars quarterback, and Mark Brunel, wide receiver Antoine Randall L, Kelvin Shepard. I mean, it's a team of coaches full of former players, and uh, yeah, you know, that's what they got going on over there. Not a unit that I'm super impressed with, although I do love Aaron Glenn. When you look at the Lions offense, they got a solid quarterback in Jared Goff. He's one of those guys that I'm looking at is like, hey, maybe the Jets would go after him and try to do something to get him for next year. But as we're realizing, he's similar to a Mike White, kind of stoic in the pocket, likes to look downfield, not super mobile, but he can throw the ball. He's got some nice touch, picks up yardage, and he's been in these schemes with Sean McVay and now with Ben Johnson where he knows what to do and he's seen a lot of different things. He's also played in the Super Bowl, so he's a veteran, absolutely. You know, he's a early, I think he was a first or second round pick that year with Carson Wentz, so he's been good. For a very long time, he's got confidence. And he's got a lot of guys around him that can help make it easier. That one-two punch of Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift at running back, that's dangerous. Because DeAndre Swift can catch the ball really well. He's got some speed and he can do some flashy stuff. And then Jamal Williams, this guy's banging home touchdowns. He's got 14 touchdowns in the season, which is crazy for Jamal Williams, who's a good back. But, man, that guy's just finding the end zone game after game. You look at their wide receivers, Amon Ross St. Brown. Really good season. Again, I don't love pro football focus, but he's the third highest graded wide receiver in the NFL on PFF this year. Then they got DJ Chark, who's a solid receiver. Josh Reynolds, he's okay. But their new guy, their new flashy toy, Jameson Williams, drafted out of Alabama this year. He came back for his first game. Didn't get any targets in his first game. Then this past week, he gets a 41-yard touchdown on like his first catch in the NFL. And you're like, oh, shoot, that's why they drafted him. We can see it. So he's that new weapon right there. Jameson Williams is going to try to burn us deep. They have a pretty weak tight end room after trading TJ Hawkinson to the Vikings. Brock Wright, not really a threat, which is good because the Jets don't line up great against tight ends usually. But then, like, this whole offense really works because of their offensive line. Those two tackles, Penny Sewell and Taylor Decker, are very good. Their center, Frank Ragnow, is very, very good. Maybe their biggest weakness is the guards, Evan Brown and Jonah Jackson, but those guys are solid too. This whole team runs through that offensive line. Jared Goff has only been sacked 19 times on the season, which is remarkably low. The Jets, you know, we've been making a season getting after the quarterback, rushing four guys, and then playing good coverage on the back end. Mostly zone on first and second down, going to man defense on third down. But Jared Goff, standing behind that offensive line with a few good weapons and running backs who can bang, catch, run, speed, a little bit of everything, and they're hot right now, it's a little scary. When you move to the defensive side of the ball for the Lions, it's not a great unit. I love Aaron Glenn, but that defensive line, it's getting pressures and some sacks here and there. Primarily Aiden Hutchinson, who leads the team with seven. Then James Houston, another rookie. He's got four. Romeo Aquara, 
He's a decent pass rusher. He's got a couple this year. But the team only has 26 sacks as a whole, so not great production from that defensive line. And even worse, they're giving up five yards per rush. 140 yards per game on the ground. My dad mentioned they're over 400 yards given up per game. The second worst defensive unit in the league, at least in terms of production against them. And that's a lot of it coming from the running game. The Jets need to utilize Bam Knight. Even Michael Carter, if he's not in the doghouse for fumbling from the team, can they get him going? They need to absolutely ground that ball, you know, on the ground. Five yards per carry, 140 yards per game. Yes, let's get that. That's what we need. And it ain't coming from our quarterback, so come on. Their linebackers, average. It's Anzalone. Uh, he's been around the league. He's an okay player. Rookie Malcolm Rodriguez, if you remember him from Hard Knocks, he was kind of like the big storyline. He's a young guy that was drafted mid-rounds and played really well in preseason, and he's earned a spot to start, but he's not some elite-level player yet. Then you look at their secondary. It's exposable. Jeff Akuda's on one side at cornerback. He's getting better. He's definitely having a better year this year than he originally started out as. But he's exposable, I think, especially with our receiving options. Jerry Jacobs is the other side at cornerback. Two solid tight ends in Deshaun Elliott and Kirby Joseph. But keep in mind, this is a team that's allowing 279 receiving yards per game. And they're allowing 69% completion percentage against them. So as well as those players are playing at times, they're also just not getting it done schematically, and they're not getting it done execution-wise consistently enough. I mean, they're giving up over 400 yards per game. These guys, you're going to get into a freaking shootout with them, right? We talked about the Vikings being probably a barn burner. When you look at this game, this is looking like it's going to be a barn burner. This is looking like, you know, 60-plus points scored in this game. Absolutely, I'm seeing. But what we're going to have to do to win this one, we're going to need a healthy Mike White. He's going to have to be unaffected by those ribs, and he's going to have to play the entire game. If he doesn't, it's got to be Zach Wilson. And either way, we're going to have to rely on that run. Detroit will allow for the running game to get hot, so we have to make sure that running game gets hot. Let's go, bam. It's time to bam. we got to pressure Goff. But what's going to happen there? If the Jets can't get pressure on Goff getting through Penny Sewell and Taylor Decker and Rag now, we can't get after him with Quinn and Williams and Rankins and Lawson, if Quinn and Williams even plays in this game then what's going to happen as he stands back in the pocket? Are we able to defend those zones for long enough with DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner? We haven't really seen any quarterback standing with time in the pocket, ripping this defense apart. It's happened for small stretches throughout games, maybe in one half or something, but then gets cleaned up. It's going to be a very interesting situation because he's been sacked 19 times in 13 games. Like, that's basically one time per game. He's very comfortable, and he's got the receivers. we got to get after him, and if we don't, we got to play sticky coverage, no penalties. It's going to be a tough task. Whatever they score, which they're going to get some, we got to make sure we're matching it. I think that if we don't shoot ourselves in the foot again, we play clean football. I think that Mike White can finish this game up, can throw for over 300 yards. I think Zonovan Knight can rush for over 100 yards. I think we can make it a tough day for Jared Goff. He's not used to playing teams like this. With that defensive coverage and that rush, pass rush with just four guys coming at you, you've got a lot of guys back there, seven dudes in coverage typically, and four guys coming at you, and they're getting there, and they're big, and they're strong, and they're hungry. And there's a big rotation of them. They're not getting tired. You're swapping them out, and it's another guy. Boom, it's him, it's him. And you're playing in December in New York. This is a tough task for an L.A. kid like Jared Goff. I think the Jets win this game. I think they win 34-27. to They have to win this game. And I can't wait to see it. If they lose, it's going to be a really depressing standpoint for the Jets fans because it's going to look like we're not making the playoffs. We'll be 7-7, seven and seven, 500 team, starting to tail off. 
all the excitement from Mike White's going to be like, yeah, he's playing well, but we can't win. We got to make it happen. It comes down to this game right here, right now. It's basically a playoff game for the Jets. From here on out, these games are close to it. So it's an interesting matchup. There's opportunity for the Jets' offense to thrive, and there's opportunity for the Jets to get some good things going on defense too because it still is just this Lions team. It shouldn't be. What it's do- it shouldn't be doing what it's doing five out of the last six. It should be what it was doing early in the year, which was like one out of the first five or something. So we'll see what happens. As always, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast anywhere podcasts are found. I see all the feedback. I always appreciate it. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan for random thoughts throughout the week. And that's it. Let's freaking win this game and let's come back eight and six, either back in the playoff picture in that number eight spot, really, really close, chomping at the bit, looking at Jacksonville as another opportunity to win, keep our case alive, make it to the postseason. It's been a hell of a year, but we're not done yet. Starts this week. Let's go Jets. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 